Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Deadly Faith Podcast. Hey, heathens, I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And if you're deconstructing, deconstructed, deconverted, dealing with religious trauma, or love true crime, hell, maybe it's all of the above, then you need to subscribe to Deadly Faith. On this podcast, we explore the world where religion and crime collide. Maybe someone takes their religious beliefs a tad too far. Maybe someone is hiding their evil behind their man or woman of God persona. Maybe they started a cult, committed murder, or even believe that they are the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this isn't a world full of sunshine and rainbows, but it's a world that needs to be explored. So get ready for some deep dives, hard truths, and even some comedic relief as we tell these heartbreaking true crime stories. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. So we're starting with a confession. We're starting with a confession? (laughs) What's the confession? That John is a Cowboys fan. I'm a Cowboys fan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I watched the Wheel of Time series on Amazon. Yeah, but see, you've already you've already like like eliminated ninety percent of the audience who's who's going to go with the what of what? <laughs> they all clicked off. Already like, stopped. The three the three nerds <laughs> sitting on this call right now are like, oh, those sons of bitches. What do they do? Everyone else is like, the huh? The who? The no one else is going to sit through. It, it creates suspense. I'm talking yes. about like fourteen. Is that weren't there fourteen books total? I think 13? so. Yeah. Each of them, like, massive, massive, like 800 to 1,000 page Almost 1,000 pages each. I have slogged through, and then they distilled it all into... Anyway, this is the podcast, by the way, (laughs) that we've started with confessions. (laughs) John was talking about his favorite television programs. I was talking about my porn addiction. Um, (laughs) Or lack thereof. I'm joking. Well, I'm going to start with... This is Brandon Andrus, and I'm going to start with a question for you guys. I was thinking about this earlier. Okay. You guys have to be old enough to remember WWF before WWE, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Are we talking like okay. Hulk Hogan? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you guys were a tag team based upon WWF, what tag team would you guys be? Oh, oh man. Jeez. I, I want to be, oh. uh, I want to be like uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, got to be a tag team. You can't pick individuals. Oh, I don't even know enough about wrestling to pick a tag team. Oh, I, I'm going full Moon Dogs for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the crazy guy that like used to like like scatter thumbtacks on the mat and like slam people into that? <laughs> All of you know what I'm them. talking about? It was just a me. It was just like he was. It was oh my gosh, it was, it was man something. Are you wanting us to pick our own name or pick a tag team that already exists? Hey, look, you guys aren't the Rock and Roll Express. You're not the uh, British Bulldogs. You are definitely 100% the Moondogs. All right, we can go. The Moondogs. Moondogs. Okay, well, <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that refers to my penchant for burying my backside to people in protest, then yes. <laughs> and the fact that the backside you see would be hairy like a dog. Um, oh, wow, I just took great. that in weird places. Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> This is the this is the kind of stuff people have come to expect. No one's surprised or shocked. No, they're not surprised um, anymore. No, we are we are very very happy today though because we get to we get to chat with our friend Brandon who has written yet another awesome book. Uh, Brandon is an author who has written. Have we have we introduced the podcast or you or me? Oh, this is not church, by the way. And, again, <laughs> I'm gonna go back to that whole thing of like if you click this and still don't know what you're listening to, uh-huh. I don't feel like I should tell you. You know what I mean? If you're scrolling through, your, this is the podcast we so lovingly call This Is Not Church. Why? Because if it was church, 
You would have left by now. Hey, but I'm bum. All right, I guess I have to throw in the tag. That's a weird tagline that just sort of evolved over several months. It's, like, it's, it's very true. But I do like it. And uh, now that you and I have both left the building, as it were, I mean, we actually need, we, we might be thun, get back on the hunt for the third host who's like still like goes to church. And, nah, never well, mind. We, anyway, we, we, uh, have, we have one waiting in the, win- the wings. I just need to reach out to her again. And just, uh, It's hard enough for you, I, you and I to coordinate things between I know, you and me. I know, because we're just... You throw a third just, person in the mix there and it's going to be like... She's probably better at time management than both of us combined, oh, though. Guarantee so. it. Because there's nobody, there could not be anybody much worse than me. I mean, no, I have zero no. time management skills. <laughs> None. I mean, there are things right now I should be doing. So who's our guest? Who's our guest today? Who's uh, so lovingly <laughs> renamed us the, the Moon Dogs? Hey, welcome back to the podcast about <laughs> professional wrestling. We should have Jason Elam on and he can tell us all about Because, you know, he was a uh, professional wrestler at some point. Or an amateur yes, he professional. Was. Is there an amateur professional? <laughs> amateur professional. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. We have now renamed the Moon Dogs. <laughs> Thankfully, you're listening and not watching because John, John and I are both naked from the waist down, showing you why that's the case. <laughs> uh, this has just gone off the rails. Brandon Andres is here. Again, uh, awesome, amazing writer. He's got a brand new book, a sequel to his first book, which is What Can't Be Hidden, right? And yeah, this is yeah. the new book called... And so by fire. Yeah, and so by fire. You got it. And so by fire. I do always love a title that starts with and. I think that's some, see, I said, and so by fire. What do you mean, and? What do you, is, cause it's continuing. So yeah. Ha, uh, <laughs> by way of introduction, that's who we got today. Welcome back to the podcast, man. How are you? Good guys. And it's been a minute. And I just want to say congrats on the podcast success. That's incredible. I follow, I watch, I listen. And you guys are killing it. You're tearing it up. John, I think you just released a book, a wildly successful book. That's actually Nat. Nat, Nat that, wrote the book. That was me. Oh. John, John's, John's book will be coming out. We don't know when, but soon. So. Yeah, that's fine. But my book has been out for about a month. Yes. John's book will be coming out, well, I don't know, soon. His final submissions have been made. So you know how things work in the publishing world, just waiting on, uh, on some, some of the pieces to, to fall in. So that's amazing. We've got a couple of little writing projects working on, so that's great. Yeah, well, it's incredible for you guys because, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would expect two guys doing a podcast that you would do a book together, but both of you had different, unique material that you are both have put out and are putting out. So that's incredible to me. Yeah, I mean, we've talked off and on for a while about doing something together and just uh, haven't landed on something great. But that would be, yeah, that would be fun. What do you say, John? Sure. <laughs> you can't you can't make a face as a response on an audio podcast. I I uh, use I use my words. I use my words. Eventually you got you, there was all kinds of like uh looks of consternation and then to be honest, Nat, Nat and I have talked about um this this idea of so our 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 journeys are different but at at the same time the same. They come, uh-huh. They've come to a, a similar end path from completely different paths. So it would be interesting to write a book as to how we got to a very similar place, but from completely different roads. So yeah, that's yeah. Incredible. you could call um, it "God Bless the Broken Road." Ooh, led me straight <laughs> to you. <laughs> but yeah, we appreciate. But thank you for that, Ben. We appreciate that, man. It's been no, a lot of fun. That's great. It's guys like you who are willing to come on and do this and, and, 
and suffer through our uh, our goofiness. Well, no, look. So you you, you got to mention it, right? Because you you guys are bringing people on and showcasing other people. And I know you've done you, you've done enough to talk about yourselves and the books that you are doing and have done and all of that stuff. But man, I tell you what, the the process of writing, as you guys know, is just it's brutal. And and I always equate it to it, look. I don't want to get in trouble, but it, because I clearly don't know what it's like to give birth to a baby. But if we were kind of to stretch that analogy really far, Ooh, you know, the, no process, the, the process of carrying something for so long and then giving birth to it and putting it out in the world is such a daunting thing. And there's the pain that goes with it. And then kind of the fear of putting it out there and being vulnerable. And then how are people going to receive it? So the fact that you guys are doing it and have done it, you, you got to celebrate that. So congrats. I appreciate that, man. You're and you're not wrong about that. That's the worst. That you're right. The the process of, of of writing and all that stuff is is brutal, you know. And especially if you're like, I bet you're like this. I know I'm like this. I put myself on a clock, otherwise I won't get stuff done. And so I was like, if I don't put a timeline on this, yeah. I'll think about it for the next two years. So I, I put myself on a pretty tight clock, but that was easy in comparison to actually releasing it and going, all right, now what? <laughs> Yeah, let's, really. Uh, yeah. Let, let's yeah. see if number one, if anyone buys it, if the exactly. people who do buy it don't just skewer it and tell you it's terrible. I made the I made the hopefully wise decision to not write anything remotely academic, so I would not be subject <laughs> to scrutiny of, of that kind of. Nah, I don't need. They're like you're writing us. Write, what kind of book? I'm like, it's not an academic book, so do not come at me about my sources and you know, yeah, um, yeah, all that yeah. stuff, you know. But it has the air of someone who is semi well read, but. But you do something altogether different. And I, mm-hmm. I, for one, appreciate it because I don't know how to do it. So John and I, you know, well, actually John has, I, 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 okay, I, I have written fairly prolifically, not, not formally, but, you know, on Facebook and other places I, I, about theological things. And, you know, I can express my opinion about things. I could do that. But you're, you're writing fiction and, man, I, I don't know. I have a great deal of respect for people who can come up with, with original ideas and put that into something that is, you know, as well done as what you have done. So if you wouldn't mind, kind of walk, walk us through that. Because I know you've also written other books, or at least another one of yeah. the books that was not fiction, right? Yeah, so that's the crazy thing. And I'll try to be really quick about it. But uh, I've only done nonfiction up until 20, 2019. And I think my first, my first book with Choir was Beauty and the Wreckage, which was nonfiction. And I never had any intention whatsoever of writing fiction at all. I had never even contemplated it. And actually, something was like all these different things were converging at one time. I kind of felt like that there was so much antagonism in our country and so many people coming in from different ideological perspectives that anytime that I would write anything, there would be half the people who would be really upset and half the people who would applaud and hail it. And I was like, man, I, in, in one sense, that's great because you're able to say the things that you've always wanted to say. But in another sense, I felt like I was alienating half the people. And I've really just never, me personally, I've, I've just never been um, interested in perpetuating echo chambers. That's just never been my shtick. And so there have been times where, um, we'll just talk about my first book, What Can't Be Hidden, where a lot of the meta narratives in it are critiquing fundamentalism and politics. And a lot of people resonate with that. And 
the interesting thing about the sequel, and so by fire, is that the meta narratives really kind of swing the other direction. So I'm going to pause there because one of the questions you asked, uh, John, before we got on online was, is there going to be a trilogy? And so the answer to that is no, and here's why. The first book critiqued one end of the pendulum, and this sequel critiques the other end of the pendulum. And I would say in some sense, not to be overly spiritual here, but I think you guys will understand. I feel like that this is... I've never said this except to you guys. This is the first time that I've said it, but I thought about it earlier. These fiction books are... And I say this in a way that I hope that people can understand it. It's prophetic fiction. I'm not talking about weird prophetic. I'm talking about the voices that stand up and say, here is some truth and that we all need to look at ourselves in the mirror in light of it. So, you know, I, I feel like that both books served a function. They were vehicle, uh, fiction vehicles to express things that I had been wrestling with myself. And that's why it's only going to be a duology rather than a trilogy. Nice. But the, it's interesting too because you, the, so this is this is a symptom of what a certain brand of evangelical fundamentalism fundamentalism has done to us. Is the second you say prophetic, you have to qualify it. You have to qualify and it. Say, I don't mean future end times. You know, no. Trump is still the president. Those kinds of prophet people. I mean, prophetic in the truest sense of the word, which is, you know, if you look look through the historical, you know, look through the, the even the biblical narrative. Prophets were truth tellers. They were the ones holding up a mirror to the face of the people and saying, "Hey, you guys, this is the ways. These are the ways you're screwing up." Um, that's right. And that's what I. I feel like in that respect, like the work, you know, the work that I'm trying to do, and obviously the work that you're trying to do, the work that John's. It, I think it all works in the prophetic. Yes. In that way, because that's that's my interest. You I know, mean, my interest is not to critique simply for the sake of critiquing. Anyone can do that. That's exactly right. It's easy because that's actually I would I would move that from critique to criticize. Okay, it's easy to criticize. God knows there's plenty to criticize, but I think critique lands in a place of 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 wanting to be productive and helpful in that. You know, and and some will see it that way, and some won't. Right. Well, and, and that's right. And I I tell you what, the daunting task of writing these two fiction books is that with the first one, it was pretty easy because I feel like that for probably the last 15 years, my audience has been more on the progressive Christian side. And internally, I've always felt like that I'm too liberal for conservative churches and I'm too conservative for liberal churches and I've never really been able to find a home, honestly. And... I knew that my first fiction book, What Can't Be Hidden, would resonate with largely with the audience that I already had. The thing that I had noticed over the years is that, and, and if you're careful, and this, this comes to the prophetic part of it, if, if, you're, if you're not careful, when the pendulum swings the other direction, you, could, you can become just as religious on the other side or just as fundamentalist on the other side as what you're critiquing. And so... It, it, these aren't preachy books. I mean, it's it's awesome fiction. They're page turners. They're thr you know thrillers in a sense, but they're contemplative. They're roar like. They're uh, calling people to deep wisdom. And to me, I think that that's the exciting part of it. I, I I'll, I'm just going to confess to you guys that I just I've not really known how to market them, to be honest, because in some sense they're 
speculative fiction. In some sense, they're thrillers. In some sense, it's kind of science fiction. But like, how do you qualify? It's not, they're not Christian books, but they're deeply contemplative and wise books. So where do you put them? And so I've done a horrible job at trying to narrow down how to market that because they feel in many, in, in, in a huge sense, very unmarketable. <laughs> How's that for a sales pitch? For me, I would say that, so your first book, like you said, was leaning more towards the progressive side. So they were going to be, they would easily connect and That's feel right. the, 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 the flow of the story. What you've done in the second book, and I think is, is actually rather vital. And that's that, okay, so we are, I would say that the three of us are, would all consider ourselves rather progressive, uh, that we lean towards that side. But it's super easy to make that our new God and to ignore the potential of relationship with someone who is more conservative on the Christian or on the religious spectrum. So we, so we as, quote unquote, progressives dismiss everyone who doesn't fit within our paradigm, right? Yeah. That becomes a problem because we are, because like you said, we become an echo chamber. We only hear people that speak like us, talk like us, act like us, agree with what we say to the detriment sometimes because what they do is they agree with our misguided opinions. And so what happened is as much as we want to say that we have the best intentions for the world, for the population, for politics, for religion, we have lost our way also. Mm. And so what is interesting with what you're, what you're doing with this book is like, so are we willing to cross the line to the other side and say, <laughs> where, where do we agree? Where do we, where can we come to a connection to say we can together create a better world, right? Yeah. So with the first book, it was very black and white. It was very binary. It was easy to say we versus they. And so people walked away with it and they they could see wisdom threaded throughout this narrative, but you could also see the dichotomy of black and white, of good and bad. The thing that I wanted to do with And So By Fire is that one thing you'll notice as you go through and look at the characters is that every single character is gray. They both they both embody good and bad. And so it, it's interesting because I think in narratives, you're always rooting for somebody and you're rooting against someone else, right? You've got to have the antagonist, the protagonist. And I certainly do, but in some sense, I wanted it to be so nuanced that it made people question and ask, you know, so we have an antagonist in the first book and all of a sudden we're drawing sympathies for him in the second book. In the first book, we have a, a protagonist, a hero that we're cheering for. And all of a sudden we find out that maybe they're not as great as what we thought they were. But I thought this, this is the, the tension of real life. This is the tension of what we're living within. And it's really calling people to work through this gray area to find something deeper than what we've settled for on the surface. Well, that's always the challenge though, isn't it? I mean, as, as you're talking and I'm thinking about, I, I tend to think about film sometimes more than books. Mm. And so when I think of my favorite movies, 
And I think about my favorite filmmakers. I always think about people that managed to get me to root for a protagonist. <laughs> so unlikable. Yeah. Like, how did you, how did you get me to care about that person who has almost no redeeming qualities? I mean, you, if you, uh, or I, I think of like Breaking Bad. Oh, that, that's like, exactly what I was thinking of. Like, like yeah. here's the, here, here's the, and that, what a weird story arc where you start out with a guy who is supremely likable. And then throughout the course of seasons and seasons of this, you, you watch him strictly, you know, um, his humanity is stripped away, you know. But wasn't there a point act. though? You, you guys both watched it, right? I I watched yeah I watched it twice. I mean, it, sadly, yeah, I know. have to say I have yet to watch it. So you are okay. Uh, oh well, my god, we're done here. <laughs> bla- blasphemy on the pod. Blasphemy. Um, so th- 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 there was a point that I remember very vividly where I was watching it, probably probably a couple of seasons into it. And I, and I remember still rooting for Walter White. Oh yeah. And I, and then I, I checked myself and I thought, why are you rooting for him? He's a monster. And I thought, wow, that, that is a, you want to talk about writing and developing a character and, and the nuance of, um, you know, the, the intricacies of the good and the bad and how we carry both of them within us. And I thought it, it's really fascinating what writing can do in terms of turning everything on its head and challenging people's presuppositions on what they think. And more than anything, of challenging people to think deeper than just the surface. And I think that that's where we're at. I mean, what we have reinforced in our culture and society, it likes to keep us on the surface of evaluating people on those surface things, but we we very rarely have things from an entertainment perspective, maybe even from a fiction perspective, that challenge us to go deeper and and try to get below the surface to find uh, the greater humanity with other people. Yeah, well, it's 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 interesting because and, and that's just one example. It's one good example, but those kinds of. Um, those kinds of movies or television shows or whatever that stay with you for a good long time, right? Like you watch them and then you think about them. They always have characters that you just, just how you described, that are gray. They are complex. Mm. Like they are so complex. They are so, um, they're so multi, you know, they're layered and they're, you know, there's parts of them that are absolutely, I mean, Walter White towards the end is borderline inhuman. Yeah. And yet you, but you don't completely forget that that's not where he started. Like, okay, he got taken down a weird road and he made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice. But there's, and it's not the only, it's not the only example, but it's the one that came to mind. But those are so compelling, like so much more interesting, right? Then here's your enemy. He's bad. Everyone can easily hate that guy. The, the reason why we identified with him is because he started off with altruistic motives. And we're like, yeah, yes, absolutely. We, we can identify because we always like to identify the goodness that we see with the goodness that we have within us. And so we're like, we can identify with this guy who's working a lousy job, not getting paid much. He has cancer. He wants to support his family. And it's like all the, they're pulling every string in us. Like we yeah. are going to identify with this guy. And so we make excuses along, you know, it's like we understand why he's making the decisions that he makes and we kind of walk alongside him like, yeah, that's, we justify it. But anyway. I'm going to take it down uh, like a completely different road. Just, just, just no Star Trek. 
No Star Trek. <laughs> okay. So the ultimate anti-hero in my world is Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, wow. you went a way different way. Yeah, wow. because did, he is, he is this guy that at his core is a coward, doesn't want to be part of the process, but when push comes to shove, he'll protect his friends and family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, meaning family being Scooby, right? Being his dog. But for me, that's always been, I, I know, I know it's weird, but it's like the ultimate anti-hero is like, it is Shaggy. You know, this crazy weird stoner who just wants to eat Scooby <laughs> snacks and sit in a van. But really, when it, when the, when the proverbial shit hits the fan, he's there. Yeah. And that's, and, and I'm, and, I'm just trying to wrap my head around you pulled out Shaggy. <laughs> Am I wrong though? Am I wrong? You know, the, the funny thing is though, John, is that <laughs> in And So by Fire, the sequel, there is a character that is very shaggy like, believe it or not. I mean, if you've gotten into a couple of chapters, KT is one of the characters who is a stoner. <laughs> you know, yeah, she right, is right, the right. one who who is kind of going along and stumbles into uh, not only the conflict, but part of the resolution. And I think that is one of those anti-heroes that you want to root for because they're the most unlikely heroes. I'm just, I, I'm kind of riffing off just some stuff that I've, I, 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 I want to ask a question. And this is kind of a weird question. It's completely off the mark. You have a tendency as you're writing to talk about artificial light. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you make a, you make a, a very specific comment a lot through your writing about how the lighting is artificial uh, uh-huh. as opposed to natural. Uh, there's a moment where I'm sorry, I, I am so I'm horrible with characters, two of the main characters that are on the island. Tyron and uh, sitting out. Yes, and they're sitting out there and they for the first time can really kind of see gotcha. the stars. Oh, right? yes, because yes, yes. The light has been taken away. Is there is that intentional? This idea, like I said, like I said, it's not that it's not that there isn't light pollution that I get, but you you're very intentional in saying it's it's uh, it's not natural lighting. Is that was that intentional, or is that just the way you write? So, are you calling me the Thomas Kincaid of fiction writing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I am not. I am not. I am okay. not. That is a that's a pretty that's a pretty serious charge. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. No, no. Um, I just find it interesting. I think I I think you're doing it on purpose. I think you're doing it on purpose to to separate this idea of artificial and real. So, John, the thing about both books is that they are as deep as people want them to be because every single thing that I write is intentional. Every metaphor is intentional. Every symbol is intentional. They're both deeply, deeply, deeply allegorical. And and I'll even go beyond that. I mean, at the surface level, they are narratives. They're stories that I want to be page turners that are engaging. That if people didn't Which understand any, if people didn't understand anything more than the story, I wanted them to walk away and say that was a good story. Below that is the allegory. So it's it's speaking to us as a culture, as a people. It's speaking to us individually about who we are and who we can be. And then at a third level, which I don't 
advertise necessarily, but both books are autobiographical. Not in, not important for the audience to know that, but that is the driver of both books. So whenever you talk about light, I mean, in the first book, there was not any artificial light because everything was natural. It was fire, it was torches, it was sun, right? And then the darkness. Every time that I mention light in any capacity. In the second book, it's more artificial light versus natural light. If I'm talking about it with a certain character that's in that scene, it's indicative of where that character is at themselves. Whenever you have something like you're talking about the artificial light that they look across the water whenever they're sailing across this body of water and they see this artificial light on the island, it's more indicative of the state of the island. It's, it's how we've sold the natural for the artificial. So you're exactly right. You, you absolutely nailed it. Every time that I mention light in any capacity, it's saying something either about the individual or about the culture in general. The, the other thing that really caught me, and it, it, was like a, it was almost like just one sentence, but it was the massiveness of, of this corporation, whereas... The the again, I I am so horrible with names. The the main <laughs> character who lives above uh, Pangea in yeah. the in the it took him five minutes yeah to walk to his apartment. Now, it, granted, <laughs> it's a circle, but yeah, still, yeah, yeah. that's a big fucking circle <laughs> <laughs> to take five minutes uh, to get from the elevator to his. And I don't know if you were doing that on purpose, also to just show the massiveness of the corporation. So it is, right? Yeah. I, I think that the thing that the reader has to know, the podcast listener uh, for this episode needs to know, is that the second book, yes, it's critiquing more uh, fundamentalist progressivism, yes, but there's also other meta-narratives that I'm covering in terms of uh, deep fakes, misinformation, disinformation, artificial intelligence. And so... All of this becomes a larger critique on us as a people. But to, to your point, with, with this particular character, that all of my characters have narrative arcs of where they're heading and the things that they're dealing with. And this particular character, um, and I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of a deeper dive, and I'll try to make it really quick and succinct. But um, have you read much uh, Richard Rohr? Okay, so in Richard Rohr's first book, which was the first book that I had read of his called Everything Belongs, one of the first sentences on the first page says, uh, we are circumference people mistaking edges for essence. And this one particular character throughout this entire book, you will always find him either, you'll find him on the edges of circles. So whether it's the corporation and his apartments on the fifth level of the circular uh, building, or whether he's sitting at his desk and he has one of those um, circular pendulums that he pushes and it circles around the sand and it stops in the middle, right? And then he pushes it again. At one point, he's in a kind of the simulated experience and he's looking at the rug and he sees these circles on the carpet and it's and he kind of envisions himself walking around the circle. He's a guy that always stays on the edges, but never can get to the center, never can find essence. And so, like I said, everything's intentional, but you're very uh, acute, very astute in picking out some of these things because everything connects in these books. 
wow. See, and that's the beautiful. That, 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 that's what inspires me about stuff like this. You know what I mean? Like, okay, how do you do this? How do you write a piece of fiction that operates on multiple levels without falling into the trap of becoming heavy handed in whatever, whatever critique you're leveling or whatever, you know? And that's, that's something I, I feel like you do very well that I, I don't know. I just always have a tendency to admire things in other people. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Everything I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a club. You know, there's, I have the, the, subtle, <laughs> I have the subtlety of a, you know, I don't know, Sam Kinison screaming the top of his lungs. You know, that's, that's me. <laughs> but I, but I appreciate one thing, one of the other things that you mentioned that I appreciate so much is then, so the difficulty in all of this, right? The difficulty in all of this thing that we, that I think on some level we're all engaged in, which is critiquing culture is humanizing the other and trying to come up with a way because there are people for whom I have no love. Yeah. Outside of whatever love I'm compelled to try and find for them, um, they're easy to demonize. They are super easy to turn into a binary, turn into a caricature and go, well, that's, you know, and, and dismiss. Um, meanwhile, that's not very productive. I mean, it doesn't really push the conversation forward, right? So is that, is that a line that you're, that you're actively trying to either blur or walk through and without does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm more than that. Question. Yeah, yeah. So in, in both books, I, I did it with each one of them. And, and the thing that I feel like was a tool that I used in both stories was I feel like that whenever we had a character that the other viewed as a lost cause or someone who was irredeemable, I wanted to have that person struggling with something silently. I wanted them wrestling through issues, having silent moments where they were in, 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 in this latest book, I have one of the antagonists have this moment where he's looking at pictures and he's remembering like the goodness of community that he had, but then he's reflecting on what kind of a character he was in the middle of that. He wasn't good. He was super judgmental. He led them in a harsh way. He embittered other people. But I think in that moment, there was a softening of his heart to the point where he was like remorseful and sorry for who he was in the past. And the, the, the difference is, is that no one else knew that he had that private moment of transformation. No one ever knew that he had a moment where he was remorseful of what he had done and who he had been. And, and so what we end up seeing with him is this harsh judgment of this kind of progressive community that beat, beat the hell out of him afterwards. And you're kind of like, well, you know, in one sense, we understand because in the first book, we, we wanted to do that to him. But then we have this private moment in the sequel where all of a sudden we're, we're in the room with him, where we're in this intimate moment, and we actually feel bad for what's happening. And, and I think that that's the gray area that I'm trying to approach is it, it's so easy to create the caricatures. I mean, it's the easiest thing. And honestly, there's nothing in our culture that, that, stands in the middle of that and tries to help people navigate the gray area, what we have culturally are reinforcements of the we-they. And so I feel like, yes, these are going to be 
maybe not popular books in that sense. Do I think that they're wildly needed? Yes. But I don't know, man. It, it, it's... It, it, it's, you it's know right. the profits are never appreciated, right? So you're gonna well, and, and no one ever buys their books. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's the thing. That's, I not, always... that's not true. Now, see, if you had written a book about the end times, you'd already have sold a million copies. <laughs> so maybe we just need to get back on the right track to be like the next John Hagee. Uh, and yeah, uh, well, and like the book that Paul Young and Brad Jersek wrote, uh, a pastor, the pastor, the pastor. of crisis, right? Which yeah. is this, a lot of this internal struggle of this one character that right. is irredeemable. He doesn't have anything that we want to connect with. He's a horrible person. He's done horrible things. But by the end of the book, we want, we're, we're almost cheering him on to become a better version of himself. And I think that's what you're doing with some of these characters as well. Um, and again, I want people to read the book. I don't want to give away. Uh, there's one specific character I think that that's what we want for that character, right? We want them to find a better version of themselves. But at the end of it, I think we want to find a better version of all of these characters. Uh, they all have, they all have internal issues that they're dealing with. Even the ones that we would say are on the right side, they've made mistakes. They've made issues. They they have issues that they need to that, that they need to come to confront. I never thought about this until you just said it, but I think it's an intriguing thought: is that all of these characters are part of me, my misgivings and my failures are wrapped up within all of these characters. And I think there's a lot of parts of me that need worked out. And I, I always think, man, it would be nice if I had people around me that had the patience to help me to walk alongside me while I work those out, e even the ugliest parts of myself. And I think, you know, here, here we have these characters that Others can't really see what's going on within them internally, and they're making snap judgments based upon either what they've been told about the person or told about the group or what they assume about the person. And I think, man, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of opportunity that we have to rediscover each other's humanity. And I think ultimately that's it with both of these books. I, I don't expect it to be an easy primer on, you know, the five steps to <laughs> rediscover the humanity of others. <laughs> but man, I, I tell you what, if, look, you, you guys know this, you know, w we would be the first ones to critique the, the five point sermons or the three point sermons, right? And say, you know, sometimes they're just not very effective because it's so formulaic. And I've written two fiction books that are kind of the anti-three-point sermons. I've written two fiction books that I feel like preach, but they don't preach. They, they're, got, they're wise guides. They, they help people walk and navigate. They're not, you, you guys, you, you said that, you know, they're, they're not preachy and they're approachable. And it's, I feel like that that's it. I mean, it, th there's a place for these it's going to be up to the audience to check them out because honestly, I, I, I failed time and time. And look, there are people that read both of them, but 
probably a lot of people who know me and like me and probably a lot of family members. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I think that we would probably do well, you know, do, do I think that this would serve our culture in a huge way if more people read it? Yes. So how do you get it in front of more people? You have to ask people to check them out. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, the marketing part of this still eludes me. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's difficult. It's easier to write the book than it is to market the book. Yeah. I swear you know, to you. I uh, swear. When, uh, that was the most daunting thing about... I mean, the writing the book, like we've mentioned before, the writing the book is hard. The releasing of it, sending it out there, and then the marketing of it is really a, it's a minefield because there's only so much I can do. You know? That's and right. So, and especially when you, when, you, when you publish with a smaller boutique publisher who, who expects you to go run with it, you know, I'm like, I don't know, where's my advertising department? Hey, you're not that kind of, you're not that kind of writer, dude. Well, go, go, sell your, go sell your book. Is it, isn't that where, isn't that where we as like podcast, that's where we step in, right? So we are, we are going to be, so what I would say about your books, books, the, the, the two fiction books is there are, there are three levels to this book. And I would say that even before you, you had said that, you also say there are three levels. The first level of this book is 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 purely entertainment, uh-huh. and for anybody who's listening, it hits on all marks. Any book that catches me and 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 I'm intrigued by the first paragraph, boom, we're good. So this both these books do that. So you're going to read these books as entertainment, and it's going to be great, and you're going to enjoy it. And then you're going to sit and you're going to think about what you just read, uh-huh. and that's where it gets a little deeper. And you start questioning your connection to these different characters. Uh, and would you, again, right? It's, it's, it's the, it's like the basic, if I was, if I was alive in Jesus time, would I be, would I be for him or would I be against him? <laughs> so it's, it's like that. It's like, so who are these characters would I stand next to? And who are these characters would I oppose? Uh, um, but I think the third layer of specifically this book now is, is it right to oppose just to oppose? <laughs> or should I find this and connect with the people who I disagree with? That's the Jesus way. Uh, uh. Right? So um, it, it's super easy to call out, and I, it will go on either side, right? I'm not, I'm not going to pick Republican or Democrat, but it's easy to, to pick on a, a Trump or a, a Pelosi as like so polarizing that I can never agree with. But Jesus says (laughs) to find a way to connect with them anyway and find a way to have, uh, to find a way to love them. It's super easy as a progressive to say, I, I don't need to do that with Trump. And it's super easy as someone who's on the, on the conservative side that I don't ever have to do that with Pelosi. But what you're challenging through this, I think, is to say there are good and bad on both sides. And are we willing to, are we willing to come to some kind of agreement that we should at least sit at a table together and have a discussion? Mm, now you got it. Yeah, no, that that's spot on. And man, I have so many stories about that, and you guys do too. I'll just share one. I have a, a friend who is hyper, hyper, hyper progressive uh, in Indiana, and lives in a completely red city. 
and lives in a completely red neighborhood. And the thing that they, him and his neighbor, the thing that they get together and they have found a relationship in is drinking bourbon together and just shooting the shit. And, and I'm yeah. like, you know, <laughs> I guess that that's the thing is that, man, we, we, we could spend all of our time talking about macro issues and talking about all the things. And, and to be honest, that, you know, I, I, I at least have to say that at some level, and I think that this book does explore this, is that there is a level of complicity that the powers that be have, whether that be politics, whether that be uh, news, in keeping us divided. And at some level, the place where we re- regain our humanity, the place that we find our humanity is when, as you guys said, we sit across the table and we realize that, yeah, we have differences, but when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, we probably all love our families and we probably all would help each other if our house burned down. And it's, we would probably do just fine sharing a meal with one another. And I think that that's the place where we just start to get it back. I mean, we've allowed the, the, the 30,000 foot to affect us so profoundly at the three foot that I think it's up to us at the, at the really basic grassroots granular level to regain some of that. It's, it's on us. And I think that that's what these books are doing is just saying, who, who are we becoming individually? And then how is that affecting how we become interpersonally between us and other people in our relationships? Well, at, at, at the end of the day, uh, what this allows is as you create relationships with these people who have different different views or different point of views from you, is you then are given permission to say, "Hey, hate is hate," and when you and when you spew hate, I'm going to call you out on it, and that's Period. fine. Yeah, and then but you but if you are on opposing sides a thousand percent. There's no conversation. You don't get to have a conversation with that person. But if you can create a relationship and then say, "Hey, the, that moment when you said what what you said about that other group of people that's 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 centered in hate. It's hurtful, and you can't say things like that. You can't have that conversation with that person if you haven't at least built a relationship with them. That's the with, key. With, that's the key, which is right? basically as simple as maybe sitting on a front porch drinking bourbon together, right? Because until that point, all you're doing is standing across the chasm, yelling at each other, and no one's listening. And to your point, the the place where we grow, I mean, I think about my own life. The place where I grow is with people who I trust, who I have relationships with, who can speak into my life. And I listen. I may give a little resistance, but at the end of the day, I'm listening. And I change. I think that's it, you know? We're, we're, we're not, it, it's not served us very well to yell and scream. I mean, we've just used the last, we've used the last 20 years. Today is September 11th. Uh, we were good for five seconds. And then for the last 20, we've yelled and screamed and shouted at each other. And as far as I can tell, it's done nothing to bring us together. So whenever we're talking about alternatives, well, here's an alternative and here's an idea. And I think that it's not unique and novel. As you guys said, it's rooted in uh, a more Jesus way. But maybe it's time for that. Maybe it's time for a more radical, wise, uh, uh, humane approach to dealing with one another. That's just my opinion. Yeah. 
Well, and I'm, I would say that it will be books like yours more so than books like mine that will accomplish that because they all serve their purpose. Yes. Yeah. But, but that, but cause that's really, you know, for me, that wasn't my purpose. No, um, that's right. So, so, you know, I, 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 my, my book is written with a deliberate intention and, and a specific audience in mind, but books like yours have the ability to bridge that gap because they do work on multiple levels, right? I mean, if you like, you, you said this in our first interview, I'm pretty sure you said something very similar to this, that listen, if you can just read these books and enjoy them and just take them at surface level and you'll like them. They're good. They're page turners. They're good stories. Um, and, I, and I was thinking at the time, and I think it now, um, John and I both are massive. I mean, we both love fiction. I mean, and John and I, in particular, fantasy, sci-fi, that kind of stuff. That's my wheelhouse, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Give me a massive multi-volume, <laughs> you know, I'm like, like deep, deep into Brandon Sanderson's um, art, Stormlight Archive because he's a master of creating universes. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I could, I would have to go back and read those books again to find the subtext, which I know is there, but I can still enjoy them without, does that make sense? So you That's can kind right. of sneak up on people a little bit and go, well, I like this book. And now, now you've broken down my walls somewhat with just an enjoyment of a story. And maybe I'm a little more receptive to the underlying message of the story. And mm. I think all great pieces of fiction do that. I mean, mm. To Kill a Mockingbird works on a superficial level as a really cool courtroom drama about injustice. And then you can dive deeper and go, oh my gosh, there's so much to this character. <laughs> and there's so much going on. Okay, yeah. that's maybe not a great example. It's not that subtle in its subtext. But, but you know what I mean? I we like spent years point. in high school and college reading fiction and looking for the subtext, but, but the great stories get you regardless, right? Yeah, I just I just reread a book I read in, in high school. It's a Arthur C. Clarke book called The Last Babylon. Yeah, it's great. Post, you know, it, it's post-apocalyptic, but at, at its core is what happens when you are put at your base needs and. Do you rise to the occasion and become a hero, or do you become someone who mm. wants to destroy everybody else to save yourself? Mm. Uh, and and it's 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 hidden in a science fiction story, right? After a, an atomic bomb blasts, you know, it, it doesn't hold up well historically because they didn't know what because it wasn't Arthur C. Clarke, but <laughs> it wasn't. Who wrote it? No, if it was Arthur C. Clarke, it would have held up. It was uh, <laughs> a guy named Pat Frank. Mm, are you sure? I'm literally looking at the Wikipedia page right now. Okay, the last Babylon. I'm pretty sure. Right. Tim LaHaye okay. and who? I read it in a. I read it in a sci-fi class in high school. But I did. I read it in a tenth grade lit class in in high school. But what's interesting, and, right, is is at, at, at its core, <laughs> it's it's just it's just entertainment about these people who are trying to save themselves. But at the at, but below the surface is this idea of some guys hoarding gold. Because he thinks at some point gold's going to protect him, but the gold is radioactive and it ends up killing him. Oh wow! Right? Wow! Wow! So it's like this idea that within like within a core group of people, isolated, you're going to see all these other all these personalities pop up, and who are you going to be? And again, it goes back to this idea of, and we all, you know, like I ask myself this all the time. If I was to go back to the civil rights movement, would I be the one on the sidelines screaming that they're horrific people wanting, wanting equal rights or would I be marching with them? 
I hope and pray I'd be marching with them, but I don't know because I wasn't there. We, we always imagine right? ourselves on the right side of yeah, history. We're always the heroes. We're always the heroes. I'd be the guy marching in Selma, or would I? Right. Be? And so again, it's like, would I be the one? Would I be the one yelling "Crucify, Crucify" as they're determining what to do with Jesus, or would I be the one, you know, sitting at the cross? crying because I wanted him saved. You know, it, it's those questions that we, we want to ask about ourselves and hope that we are always on the right side. But I, 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 I beg to differ. And I think that sometimes we would, we would probably be on the wrong side. And that's an important thing to, to know about ourselves. I think so. And uh, you know, I'll just say this to, to wrap up this part of it is to just say that with both of these books, I think that the intention is to create the conflict and the context around which all of these characters exist within for us to wrestle with that exact thing. It's to say, it, I, honestly, it's to, it's for, it's to help us develop something that kind of lasts and we carry with us regardless of whether it's a good situation or bad. So no, I think you're spot on. And I, I, I think. I live in Columbus, Indiana. We are the mecca of architecture. Where I think we're like number six in the United States for architecture. We have world-renowned architects who designed everything in our small little town. It's the most amazing thing ever. Um, there's a movie, uh, a film that they did called Columbus, and it was directed by Koganata, who is a massive director. The movie actually had John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson in it, so like some notable people. But the interesting thing is they all came back into Columbus recently, just last fall, for the five-year reunion of making this movie. And I was able to talk to the director, Koganata, and I told him, I said, I really appreciate his film Columbus, not because it was a film based in my hometown, but because there was an intentionality with what he was doing. He wasn't just telling a story. Every camera angle, every shot of the architecture with the characters in it was telling a story. Even if they weren't, even if there wasn't any dialogue, it was telling you something about what was going on in the story. So it was intuitive. And, and I told, and I was telling him that I feel like that that's the future of art, whether it's, in film, whether it's in television or whether it's in print, is that you can have amazing stories, you can have amazing fiction, but the but where I feel like that we're going is having intuitive mediums that are teaching and showing people on a non-judgmental, non-preachy level, deep core essential truths about ourselves and taking us somewhere where we're growing and transforming. So that's the intention with these books. First of all, it's aspirational as all hell. I think it's great. And as I think about, you know, the kinds of books throughout my life that have impacted me and stayed with me, it's those kinds of books, right? That, that manage to kind of sometimes come in under the radar. And like you said, be, a, be pretty intuitive about their character development and about those kinds of things rather than, you know, some that just kind of come across and just hit you over the head with their message and go, well, that's, you know, I think we're pretty, thing is the, 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 the farther down the road we go, we get more savvy to that kind of stuff. I think you know? so. And we get a little jaded to, you know, I, I, I get triggered by people who are like overtly just trying to cram a message down my throat. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Why don't you, 
why don't, why don't you why don't you try you know something a little more artful and uh, <laughs> you know that, that well that's why Christian movies are so bad right yeah yeah nobody it, nobody in Christian different. film has yet figured out how to how to how to you know how, it's it's why the best Christian band in the world is you too you know it's because they've managed to incorporate their Christianity as a part of their life and they their music is man it is it is. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that that Striper throwing Bibles at people's heads is not the way to do it? <laughs> well, we've talked to it. Was it Jennifer Knapp that brought up the, she, she had the term when she was in, because I don't know if you know who Jennifer Knapp is, but she's an amazing. Oh, of course. She was, she was a very hugely popular she was Christian my, artist. She was my favorite, yeah. Oh, man. And, and, and she's as amazing, if not amazing, more, more amazinger now. Yeah. Um, we just had her on the podcast while we got to meet in Nashville for a, a, an event. And right. anyway, she 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 had a long hard talk with her with her record label when she first when she put her first record out, and they literally used a term they called like like JPM, and you don't have enough JPM in this record. It was like Jesus per minute. You know, you had to be able. To, <laughs> it's just like that's not the kind of songwriter I am. I don't do that. And so I tell so you what, that's was, what that's what drew me to <laughs> Kansas. That's what drew me to that first album, right? Such a good record, it, yeah, right? I mean, it was so unconventional, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, it it, it really I mean, blew, it blew my mind when it came out." Yeah, it did. It did. Then I went. Actually, went back and listened. She's actually um, she's um, she's going to go back and re-record it because oh, um, she's like man. she's like. It, it could use some updating. There's, I asked yeah. her on the podcast if there were any songs that, because I, I, I went through and listened to it again. Yeah. I'm like, it holds up. Oh, like yeah, it holds up. So it, there's no, there's, uh, there's almost no Christian music I can listen to. Um, and there wasn't anything that, that struck me as triggering and weird. And she's like, well, there's one song. She did bring out one. It's like, yeah, I would rewrite that one. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> but she's like, yeah, I'm actually talking to a guy and we're, we're actually going to go through, we're going to put out a, an anniversary edition and basically re record cool. it and go through Very it again. Cool. But she's, you know, she's touring like she all, as much as, if, if, as, as she ever has. And, um, but all, all of that was to say that I, I, I put her in that category with you of people who managed to, to do these things, stay true to their art. Not let it turn into propaganda. Uh, I think it was Brian Zond who told me that was like that was a difference between like 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 art, like Christian Christian movies are tend tend toward tends to tend to be more propaganda than art. That's why we bristle at them. Is because there's nothing artful about this about just clubbing somebody over the head with your message and doing it badly. So my my hats off and my applause to you for yeah, thank I you. think for sticking true to that that tradition of hey we can we can. We can obviously have things we stand for and obviously have things that we believe in. Um, and we can help lead people to those things without it feeling forced and manipulative. So uh, if you're listening and you stuck around this far, uh, okay. <laughs> they didn't make it past the uh, insane intro. <laughs> it's possible that they just ducked out real quick to go on Amazon and buy your books, oh, okay. um, which we good. always highly encourage. So if you've done that, good on you. You're a good uh -oh. human. If you're still sitting there wondering if you should, come on, man. I just noticed on Amazon, your first book's on sale. It's like less than 10 bucks. Yeah, so come I on. took a completely unconventional approach with the sequel. And look, you know, I I really want to like embody my values as much as I can. And I am a huge part of my local community. 
And I have a bookstore, a local bookstore that just does everything for me. I mean, they they are amazing. They are the biggest supporters of mine. They 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 let me do book signings nonstop, which has been incredible. And I just had them handle all of the pre-ordering and not even the pre-ordering since it's launched. And so what I what I did is I made them the exclusive place for signed copies and they've been shipping it all throughout the United States. And what that has meant, which is kind of kind of funny and insane, I have my Mailchimp list, I have my WordPress blog that I used to do, I have my Substack list, I have my social media accounts from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter to TikTok, I've got it all. And I activated all of it and said, call the bookstore, <laughs> call the bookstore and order <laughs> the book. And everybody did. And I've been, this is incredible. I've been number one and number two on their bestseller list for a full month. And, and, and it's, it, no one's ever done it. I mean, it's just incredible. And so, but just, I, I'll also say that in my categories on Amazon, um, I never did hit number one, but I think there's a reason. One, because I sent everybody to the local bookstore. But number two, uh, my paperback and hardcover were both top 10 in my categories. So had I just done a paperback, I would have been... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, people are buying it. It's resonating. I appreciate anybody who, who buys it, who, who engages with it. Um, I'd love to get feedback. If people do want to call my local bookstore, Viewpoint Books, I'm going to give you guys the phone number. And I don't light them up. I mean, they're the most amazing people ever. They will ship anywhere in the United States. If you're outside of that, you can work it out with them. But um, it's, well, if they've got a website, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, John and I. John and I grew up in bookstores. Oh yeah, I'm still I'm still really good friends with the owner of the best used bookstore in my area. I, uh, the best new used bookstore probably yeah. It, yeah. in California. Yeah, I mean, I, if I, you have I, not I, been to Booklegger in Eureka. Um, you have missed out on an experience. So, Booklegger, we love you. I have been, I've been, I've been going to this bookstore since I was in junior high. Just the idea that I could buy a book and then mm. trade it in for credit to buy oh, another man. book Come on. was like the most like freeing thing that ever happened for me. That's I was like, I'm not paying for books, but I get to continue <laughs> to read books. How is that not that was just uh, the most awesome thing ever? Yeah, and so yeah, for, you, for, um, for 45 years we've been. Patronizing that store, and we love them. Well, I'm not so anti Amazon. I still use Amazon and stuff, but honestly, I, I just I'm not either. I yeah, I just really I, I want mom and pops to survive. I want them to thrive, and I'm just throwing all my weight behind that. So no, yeah. I agree, and I I lament the fact that was the hardest part about moving to the town in Texas that I moved in because John and I and my John and myself and our dad for years um, we bought and sold books. I mean, we had like an online bookstore, so kind of dealing in rare books and hard to find books. But yeah, no, we're, we're with you. I'm, I'm, you, you've reminded me there is a, there is actually a small bookstore in my town I need to reach out to. It sounds to me like you said, uh, you don't know much about this marketing stuff, but you've gotten a hold of some more guerrilla marketing tactics, which I think <laughs> that's it. Say. That's it. Yeah. And that's sort of brute force marketing. We're not anti Amazon either, but I am pro mom and pop. Absolutely. Um, if, if I, if, Anytime we can, we're like pointing people. Hell, at this point, I would be pro books a million, Barnes and Noble, brick and mortar bookstore. Period. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But they're just they're they're just going the way of the dodo. 
Um, and it's just, it's just, it's yeah, do our it's, part. There's, it's there's, do our I, live, part, people. I live in a city of a hundred thousand people and there's a bookstore. Oh, that's my nuts. Wow. We have, I don't think we have a, what you would call a legitimate brick and mortar new bookstore. We have used bookstores. Yeah. You know, quite a few of them actually, but I would, we don't have any like what you call like a Barnes and Noble or, um, I don't even remember what the other names. Booklegger does sell new books as well. Yes, they do. Yes, but absolutely. They do, but they, they do. primarily, but, but that was a cool, that's a cool store just because of the buy, sell, trade thing. So we would right. buy well, books. Well, and the cool thing is they're, they're very pro local authors. So, oh um, yeah, I need cool. to get a copy of my book in that store. Yeah. Well, um, send me a few. I'll, I'll take them down there. I'll call, I'll call Nancy. She'd put it in there. I'm sure. No, no Nancy's, it, Nancy's not there anymore. See, that's her. You gotta, you gotta be connected. <laughs> I don't, how is she not there anymore? She retired. Okay. How dare she? But again, but send me some books. I'll get them in there for you. But then again, we're, we're completely falling off the. Brandon, as always, dude, what a joy. I appreciate you coming. Yeah. Man. Good. I, I appreciate you guys and so good to connect again. And, Hopefully we can do it more frequently and it'd be great if it was live sometime. So yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.